Today's podcast is sponsored by Osea Malibu, the original plant-based, results-driven skincare line. You're listening to the Ordinary Vegan Podcast, where we teach you everything you need to know about adopting a plant-based diet full or part-time. Our goal is to empower you to live a long and healthy life. You can find today's show at OrdinaryVegan.net or on iTunes. If you have any questions, please send an email to questions at OrdinaryVegan.net. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ordinary Vegan Podcast, number 91, Turning Your Passion into a Plant-Based Business, Part 2. If we haven't met, my name is Nancy Montori, and I am the founder of this podcast and the website Ordinary Vegan. Since 2011, I have been advocating a plant-based lifestyle for health and wellness, the environment, and for animal welfare. I am so excited to say that a plant-based lifestyle is no longer relegated to the fringes of society. It is going mainstream. And if there was ever a time to become a plant-based entrepreneur, now is the time. Plants are reframing the meat and dairy categories. For example, what a week it has been for food. McDonald's, the world's largest fast food restaurant chain, has announced a plant-based burger called the McPlant. I know many of you wouldn't go to McDonald's for a plant-based burger, but this menu item brings the idea of plant-based to the masses. And they are not doing it from the good of their heart. They are doing it due to consumer demand for healthier and more sustainable food. It is a revolution, and it will continue to flourish as part of a broader consumer lifestyle trend toward cleaner, sustainable living. By the way, another popular U.S. chain called Pizza Hut also announced a new sausage pizza with vegan sausage from Beyond Meat. Today's podcast is dedicated to enlivening your mind with possibilities. And take it from me, I know changing your life takes courage, but there is nothing that you can't do. And even though I'm about to say something that might sound funny, because I've been doing this since 2011, almost 10 years, but this plant-based movement is still in its infancy but gaining at an astonishing rate. So this could be a great opportunity to do something you're passionate about and help save the world. Before we speak to today's guest, I did some more research on upcoming vegan businesses and here are some other suggestions to help you get some traction on your idea for starting a plant-based business. If you're a person who loves fashion, The increase in veganism has brought about a big increase for ethical fashion, including clothes, jewelry, and makeup. You can start small and launch your products on a website like Etsy, or you could do a specialty shop and curate and sell manufactured vegan products. You could choose the individual products and collaborate with some compassionate brands. If you love animals, You could become an animal rights advocate and start a YouTube channel, a podcast, educating people about animal rights. 
If you don't have any money to invest, you might want to try crowdfunding on sites like Kickstarter or Indiegogo. And there are businesses that are thriving because of COVID-19, like home improvement. Home Depot shares in the U.S. are on the rise. You could specialize in a business that only uses sustainable products. Are you a great gardener? There are people who specialize in green gardening consultancy. Now that people are stuck at home more, potential clients could be condo owners or apartment dwellers who have small yards or just balconies to grow their plants. Eco-cleaning is also skyrocketing. Whether you're selling your own green products or services, green e-commerce is not going away. I guess by now you get my point. There are so many possibilities. Now, let's talk about today's plant-based entrepreneur. His name is Bjorn Osti. Since 1995, Bjorn has focused on creating solutions to the industries that are crippling our health and the environment, as in meat and dairy. Bjorn is the co-founder and CEO of Good Idea Drinks. Good Idea Drinks is a sugar-free, carbonated water that helps people handle the blood sugar spikes following a meal. Bjorn will explain how the ingredients in his drink does that. Prior to Good Idea Drinks, he co-founded Oatly, a 100% oat-based milk sold in over 25 countries, including North America, Europe, and Asia. He and his brother, Ricard, specialize in food products with preventative properties. They chose USA as the first market for Good Idea Drinks because 34.2 million people, or 10% of the U.S. population, have diabetes. That statistic is according to the CDC's National Diabetes Statistics Report for 2020. I am excited to speak with Bjorn because he is a seasoned entrepreneur with one of the most popular non-dairy milks in the world. In just a few years, oat milk, specifically Oatly, has become the second most popular plant-based milk after almond milk. So let's welcome Beyond Osti to the podcast. But before we do, I would like to thank today's sponsor, Osea Malibu. Osea Malibu makes this podcast possible. Osea Malibu is the original plant-based, results-driven skincare line. Osea stands for the elements of wellness, ocean, sun, earth, and atmosphere. Their entire line is built on these four pillars and pulls from botanical sources around the world to create products that are truly protective. Their skin-nourishing products are made entirely of plant-derived ingredients. They are non-toxic and a good choice for moms-to-be. Take it from me, I love their products. Just go to oseamalibu.com slash ordinaryvegan10 for $10 off your first purchase of $50 or more. That offer expires December 21st, 2020. 
They also offer free shipping for U.S. orders of $75 or more and free samples with every order. So go to Osea, O-S-E-A, Malibu.com slash Ordinary Vegan 10 before December 21st, 2020. Now, let's welcome Beyond Osti. Hi, Beyond, and welcome to the Ordinary Vegan Podcast. Hi, Nancy. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being here and sharing all your knowledge about being a plant-based entrepreneur. My first question is, when did you become a plant-based entrepreneur, and was it scary to leave your career behind? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Wow. Well, there you go. I don't remember. (laughs) That's so long ago. I think it was... uh, Last millennium, actually. Uh, I uh, I used to be in the software industry. I built uh, together with some friends from college. We built a, you know uh, we built a business in computer security, and uh, I was fortunate enough to sell that in 1997 to. Uh, uh, I'm Swedish, so we did that in Sweden. And in '97, I sold my company to a U.S.-based firm that had two very big impacts on my life. As it turned out, I moved over to the U.S. to help integrate the companies and ended up meeting my then my future wife. Uh, and uh, so, so uh, as of '98, my life became dramatically changed and and, and very U.S.-centric. Uh, my wife Heidi is from from Boston, obviously, and, and and so after that we got married in 2000. I, half my life has been in the U.S. at least. Uh, the other big important thing that happened to me in '97 was that I uh, I had some pocket change over from selling the business, and I decided to invest in in other businesses and take a more of an angel type position in my life. And and one of the businesses I kind of was intrigued by because it felt so out of the world different and, and, and totally not related to anything else that anyone ever did anywhere. Uh, it was my brother of all. It's his fault, everything, right? <laughs> you can always blame it on your older brother. Anything you can blame on your older brothers. And in this case, uh, he... Um, uh, professor in food chemistry at the university in the south of Sweden, in the Lund University. Um, he was tinkering with how to make a better milk, and and one of the reasons he did that was that uh, you know he grew up academically in his inst- at that institution where the former professor, uh, Professor Dahlqvist, was the guy that discovered lactose intolerance. Uh, uh, so when my brother came there in the, I guess, seventies, uh, that was a big deal, you know, milk equals issues. They looked at all kinds of ways to improve milk and, and remove lactose and, and all kinds of stuff. Right. And so academically he grew up there and then, <clears throat> then he started figuring out, can we do a better milk? I mean, you know, we started learning more and more about the downsides of the milk industry as we saw it with the antibiotics and, and, you know, poor animal husbandry practices and, and, and started realizing and learning more and more about the, uh, the uh, uh, carbon footprint and the water footprint and the uh, uh, acreage needed and all these good stuff started, you know, in the late 1990s starting to pile up as, as big, big issues. We got to deal some, we got to do something about it. And that, that's why my brother like, okay, let's make it better milk. And, and, 
And uh, long story short, he played and tested a bunch of different types of uh, plants and ingredients and then landed in oats. Good old, you know, boring oats. Oatly. Who would have thought? Yes. And, and uh, that's sort of, uh, we kind of looked at that and said, that's an out of the world, totally crazy idea. But we liked the product. It tasted great. And, and you know, my mother, I remember her, bless her. She loved to bake with it day one, right? She realized that the bread turned much more moist. And uh, it was just all these little things that stacked up. And, and so I, I left my computer career behind and went all in on building an oatmeal business instead. Wow. So uh, it's not an overnight success. <laughs> Obviously, uh, it's a twenty-year overnight success. <laughs> well, were you confident that the idea of um, oat milk back then would be successful? Well, so I couldn't say that we were confident, but we believed in it firmly for a couple of different reasons, right? <clears throat> and I mean, there were all the right reasons. It was very few allergens associated with oats. We proved in our early state days that it was very efficient, I'm sorry, efficient at reducing bad LDL cholesterol. So it had a very strong medical component. Uh, we've done five clinical studies that have been published on, on, you know, so Oatly is very potent at reducing cholesterol. Uh, and and it, it had a taste, it had the pro- functional properties that made it a really good substitute to milk. Then, of course, we were in Sweden that has very high dairy per capita consumption, higher than here in the U.S., and very low lactose intolerance prevalence, you know, lower than here in the U.S. So not really an ideal market to launch a product like that. But we just looked at it and we felt like, yeah, it had legs. There was something in this that was worthwhile to go all in and, and, uh, and try to figure out what, how we could take it to market, right? And no, it's worth to note, too, I mean, my brother started really in 84, 95 with some uh, attempts to put something on the market. And it wasn't until 2001, I joined in 97, right? In 2001, we coined uh, and launched the Oatly brand. So up until then was a lot of trial and horror, as we say, and, and a lot of horror. And, and, um, <laughs> but we kind of kept landing with our feet down and figured out that, okay, now we, we kind of so, so when we did launch in 2001, I think we were all feeling like, yeah, but we don't know how big it's going to get, but this is sure is the right thing. It has all the key components for being a good product, right? T- taste, number one, functional properties and wherever you want to use it, it works. You can freeze it, cook it, you know, make sauces, bake with it. Uh, it works really well everywhere. And the neutral flavor blends extremely well with other flavors. So it's good in sauces and soups and, 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 and whatnot. What other reasons uh, does Oatly stand out from the other plant-based milks? There are so many now. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there, there's, there's one thing, I think, what we learned with oats is that wherever you go in the world, wherever, Africa, South America, China, anywhere, right? And you ask people about oats, and they will smile, and they will have a positive connotation and and relationship to oats. Inherently, it's there. It's in every tradition uh, around the world that that oats are healthy. So you have an extremely strong uh, uh, cultural element. And the, the interesting thing is it's truly global, right? Uh, in whether it's in the high altitudes in the Andes or or in the northern African mountains, Atlas Mountains, or or, or 
you know, in in China, as I say, or 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 pretty much anywhere, right? It's it's there, and and it has positive connotations, and and I think uh, <clears throat> if you talk to farmers, they love oats because it's a it's one of the best um, uh, rotational crops. So you you love to if you have your wheat or corn fields, and you know every third, fourth, or fifth year you. You have a round of oats there. It helps to reset the uh, the pH and the the, the um, nutritional balance of the soil. So it's good for soil enrichment. Problem is that that uh, the oat production, particularly here in the U.S., has gone down quite dramatically over the last 20, 30 years. And most of the oats now is pushed north of the border, and it's really grown in Canada. Uh, and the U.S. imports more and more. And and um, I think the biggest usage of oats traditionally has been as horse feed. So, as they say in England, in England, you know, they, they look down on this oats because it's uh, horse feed, and the Scots uh, say that that's why England have such fine horses and Scotland <laughs> such fine men. Well, when you first launched Oatly, it was in Sweden, who were big sure. consumers of dairy milk. Correct. How hard was it to convince the Swedish to give up their milk, and what was your marketing strategy at the time? Uh, yeah, uh, very proud of that. Our strategy was not to go after milk drinkers at all uh, in the early days. That's just that was we deemed that too big of a of a jump, right? So we had two constituents, two groups that we went after. One was the vegans. Uh, unfortunately for us in Sweden, at those in those days, there weren't that many of them. But there, there were a few, and they were very vocal, and and uh, they were a uh, uh, great audience for us. They loved us, and they tweeted and, and and you know shared on social media and whatnot. But more important consumer group in the very first uh, uh, days was families with milk protein allergic children. So milk protein allergies is uh, fairly uh, equally distributed across the globe. I believe there's some 2 to 3% of all children have some level of milk protein allergy, uh, and most of them will grow out of it by the age of 8 or 9 or, or so. Some will keep it for the rest of their lives. The, the thing is, it's so you would, and, and you know, 2 3%, that's not many. Well, the thing is that when you have socially, uh, in the context of a family where one kid is milk protein allergic, it affects the whole household. Um, and they can't mix, you know, pots and pans. They have to have separate cooking and whatnot. So if you give them a perfect replacement, they will all take it. And they will all accept it. And, and all of a sudden, when we launched our ice creams in Sweden, that you know, they, they, we launched them very early on. Because part of that, that, that family... Uh, the poor child, seven, eight-year-old, could not go to a birthday party where they had ice cream, right? And just sit yeah. there and look and watch while the others had that. Now we gave them a tool where they could have ice cream and all their friends could have the ice cream too. And they all could share in and love it and enjoy it and laugh. And all of a sudden, instead of being ex excluded, you were included. And in fact, you could be a little bit cool too because you came with something brand new that everybody liked. So that's really the... Uh, the um, Early days of, of uh, uh, you know uh, how to how to make it in an otherwise very strong dairy culture where milk is holy. Well, you go after the true weaknesses where milk cannot uh, play, and there are always some you know some little niches like that. And and when you're a young startup, 
that little niche is actually good enough to build a, a foothold into the market. And then you start widen and broaden your, your, your consumer groups uh, as you grow bigger. That is great information um, because I sometimes think that people forget about that, you know. And Oatly is very famous for the ad campaign here in the United States. Hmm. And I read somewhere that you said you can't ask consumers what they want, as in consumer research, because you will always be behind. What did you mean by that? And what advice would you give someone just starting out marketing their project? You know, the, the, the theory is not unique to, to us, or, or I, I've said it many times, a lot of people in our company and the organization talk about it, right? But good old, go back to good old Henry Ford. He, already he knew that. If you ask people what they want, they will, uh, they will ask for faster horses. That was his famous quote, right? <laughs> So, so uh, you need to stay ahead of, of and, and understand where, where markets are going. I, I think uh, I've always been very skeptical to too much consumer research. And, and, and uh, with the new management team that we built up at Oatly uh, back uh, six, seven years ago now, um, they, they made a comp- very strong stand there that not to do too much consumer research because you you are skewing yourself and you're you're all of a sudden positioning yourself as behind the curve. If you want to lead, you have to come up with things that people didn't know they want, and and, and you need to be coming out with new stuff that people aspire to or desire. Right? If you just go and ask them what they want, they, they, how they're going to say what they want, and they can only relate <laughs> to what you know what they know. So if you want to be a leader, you have to, you have to look ahead. That's great. Um, you probably had scientists do studies to back up your um, oat claims, so to speak. If you were just starting out and didn't have the resources that you have and wanted to create a plant-based food with scientific health benefits, how would you go about hiring scientists to back up the health claims? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a very good question, and, and uh, uh, our advantage, I mean, we are, uh, my brother, as I said earlier here, right, professor of food chemistry, and he actually didn't invent Oatly all by himself, locked up in a, in a dark <laughs> closet, right? <laughs> he had a team of scientists, and he quite early realized that around him, right, and he early realized that in order to pull this off, he needed subject matter experts in a various different disciplines and that's fairly unique and unusual particularly in the food industry that you read reach out literally reach out across the aisle uh to the other side and you, you pull in you know uh well it could be medical experts in his case it could be protein experts uh, enzyme experts oat experts food processing experts these are all different disciplines and categories, right? And, and, and from that environment, we could start, it was very logical that we start doing clinical tests and whatnot. I totally appreciate your question because if you don't have that scientific background, if you come from, let's say, a, a, a branding or, or you, whatever your background in, you identify a need for a cool product, I think the world needs this, 
there's always this challenge of, of if you don't have the right scientific expertise involved day one, it's really hard to go down the path of clinical studies and clinical proof because you're going to have to buy it and it will be excruciatingly expensive. If you come from within, within, so to speak, you can, you can, uh, you can actually do a lot of clinical work at a very low cost if you're smart and know what you're doing. But, but hey, listen, it's, it's really the uh, age-old uh, challenge for any entrepreneur, whether in food tech, biotech, uh, you know, uh, uh, technology of any kind, that you need really, to be truly successful, you need a combination of world-class, world-class scientists and world-class marketeers. Um, uh, and that's not a given. That's not an easy uh, thing, right? So, so uh, uh, if you don't have one, you have to buy the other. Uh, I mean, if you if you only have one, you have you have to right. buy the other. And, and and that's if you don't have the scientific deep understanding, and and uh, it's really hard to to know who to go to, which people to bring on board. I, I think we've seen a lot of brilliant scientists getting lost in in market-driven companies and vice versa, you know. Uh, uh, so so don't ask me to give you the solution because <laughs> I don't have it. Well, I don't know. It, it, is, it is hard. And, and uh, you know, talk to a lot of people, dialogue, and lead with your guts. Yeah, and the FDA really stays on top of that. I mean, you can't make, you know, false claims about your products. And, you know, you have to have some pretty major scientific evidence to say, well, this is going to help you with heart disease or whatever, you know. Um, yeah. Now, let's talk about your latest venture, uh, Good Idea Drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a carbonated water with Correct. a blend of amino acids, acids and chromium. And, Correct. And so why, those, um, why that blend and what will it help with? Uh, so good idea is, is the Swedish wellness water that we are launching here in the U S and, and, uh, so let me give you a little bit of a background here. My brother created Oatly and he put that team of scientists together, uh, uh, multidisciplinary, uh, uh, you know, from very different area fields and, and, uh, come uh, you know, a few years into our building Oatly, we decided to take some of the lead scientists out of that equation and create an independent company because we we don't we didn't want them to get locked up in in a specific oat dimension for example but to, to create an environment for true innovation you need to let the scientists the mad scientists if you like <laughs> with their <laughs> with their hats on right you need to give them freedom and and um, you, you can be quite safe in the sense that they're not going to go all over the map because they're only going to do what they're good at. And when you have specific uh, ex- areas of expertise, you're going to look at that if you, you know. So we started looking and our whole uh, idea, what we learned from Oatly was that we saw that there's definitely an incredible opportunity in the food industry to develop food products with documented health benefits. There's an there's just a wealth of resources and, and opportunities in this space that are literally untouched. The, the traditional incumbent food industries have never done research, right? They've been food blending, and to the extent they've done research, it's about you know preservatives and, and food processing and make you know and sweeteners and whatnot, but but not 
for whatever reason, they never looked at how can I improve the health benefits and, and actually take them to the next level so so I can put health claims on my food and, and it could be a really uh, important tool in, in the fight against many of the leading diseases today, right? And I mean, if you take the whole metabolic syndrome with the obesity, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, uh, high blood pressure, most of those diseases are totally avoidable if you only eat right and exercise more. And, and that's easy to say. But, but uh, our idea is to use our experts to try to identify areas in, uh, in, in the, uh, here where we can add great tasting, delicious food products with clinically proven health benefits. Taste is king. If it doesn't taste good, it doesn't matter how good it is on the health aspect. Right? It has to taste great. So that's sort of where we come from. That's what we believe in. That's our mantra, and and that's what what we live, breathe, and uh, you know, eat uh, daily. That that philosophy, and out of that, we've now started a couple of different companies. And Good Idea was born in that context. It's probably eight, nine years ago now when a couple of scientists also at Lund University, it happened to be there, discovered a relationship between proteins, amino acids, and blood sugar management. So there's some foods, if you eat them, scientists have known for years that it seemed to give you a better blood sugar response, meaning a lower spike, a lower sugar load. And and today... um, widely uh, believed, confirmed that it's the stress on your system caused by constant blood sugar swings that lead to, uh, you know, inflammations that start knock out uh, essential functions that could lead to obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, right? So if you can balance your blood sugar, even out the spikes, control that in a much better way, which you would had you been eating more of a, let's say, paleo diet, for example, a more, more traditional uh, caveman diet would give you a much better blood sugar curve. So it's sort of, okay, let's go back to the roots here and try to, to give people food that help regulate blood sugar. And our discovery with the five amino acids, a very particular mix of amino acids and uh, in proportions and, uh, and amounts that, that are critical and also the fact that they're liquid, uh, they're rapidly absorbed, and, and they clearly seems to boost your blood sugar processing. And with the addition of chromium, that is widely known to improve insulin efficiency, meaning that your insulin, which is the hormone in your blood that helps burn your blood sugar, to put it, you know, <laughs> simplified. Uh, and and uh, the big culprit ultimately that causes diabetes and everything is that you have too much of too much insulin in your system. The insulin load goes up, up, up because of your constant blood sugar swings. So here we have a beverage that combines the strength of these particular five amino acids and chromium. And, and if you drink that with your food, you get 25, 30% less blood sugar load, which is a dramatic improvement. And, and uh, the interesting thing with the blood sugar management is that it's really, of course, it's, it's important for people that are, let's say, pre-diabetic or, or early stage diabetes to really help uh, manage their system. But it really is beneficial for absolutely everybody. I mean, you can all, and, and I'm sure you, you can witness to the fact that you have lunch and then you're tired at one o'clock, right? When you have that important meeting. Of course, yeah. You sit in the front row in the conference room and you're fighting to stay asleep. 
when your boss is giving his speech. And, and so, so uh, that's caused by a, a blood sugar low, which happens after the blood sugar spike that you got from the food you just had for lunch, right? So if you drink good idea, you don't, you will notice that you don't get that low at all in the same, not anywhere near in the same way. So, so in that sense, it's it's about not nurturing or or capturing your natural energy. Take that energy you ate in forms of sugars and and spread it more evenly over the day, and you find that you're you're uh, awake and alert in the afternoon. You don't snack in the afternoon. You don't get that sugar craving at two, two o'clock, three o'clock. So, so um, uh, we all benefit from that. Um, if you're on a diet, if you're a paleo or a keto diet, or what, it's it's really, it's about managing your ketones. But it's even more important about managing and uh, keeping your blood sugar levels uh, at bay. So, it, it's it's a really smart tool for anyone, and that's why we called it a good idea. People say we call it a brilliant idea. So, <laughs> so you're supposed to drink this with your meal. Is that the, the, the point? You don't just drink this to drink it. You drink it when you're having um, a lunch or dinner or breakfast. Is that so, correct? So it's, it's, it's actually a, a, a great tasting sparkling water. That's what it feels like, like a, a, a Lacroix or a San Pellegrino or anything with the flavor, with the lemon or lime or, or uh, so other fruits and berries in it. You can drink it whenever you want. Uh, if you're thirsty, whenever you feel like this, there's no problem. You can't overload. You're not overtaxing your system or anything, right? It's just a nice beverage. But to get the blood sugar uh, regulation, you need to drink it with your food. You can't sort of eat first and drink an hour later. Right, and, and I get see. The same effect you need because it triggers that instant, immediate metabolism. So it supports that, and, and it reduces and you, the blood sugar spikes. Correct. Correct. Uh, technically speaking, it reduces the total blood sugar. Scientists would call that uh, the area under the curve, if you look at the total blood sugar curve. But uh, yes, it definitely cuts the spikes. Wow. And the total total area under the curve is reduced with some 25-30%. Was it easy to raise money for Good Idea Drinks since you had such success with Oatly, or did you not even have to raise money? <laughs> yeah, but at this point, so far we have uh, it's self-funded. We have uh, uh, been fortunate in the, in the on the back of Oakley's success. We, we built our own, my brother and I, our own food tech lab where we experiment and play. And now we are actually in a fundraising process. So any of your listeners that hear this might want to contact me afterwards if they want to be part of Good Idea. But uh, up until now, we've invested uh, uh, several million dollars in the clinical work. I mean, it's a number of years of clinical works and, and product development, and, and uh, we also have a number of patents on it. So, uh, which is also another central, essential part. Part really, you don't want to spend money in clinical research to prove a medical benefit if you actually don't somehow control that product right whether it's patent or 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 know-how specific yes if it's just a generic claim anyone can use it and, and they'll be happy to take your data and and run with it and and that's not really if you're a small startup that's that that's just not fair so it's hard to to go there unless you can patent the the product so so a good idea has a number of patents in multiple countries and and uh, uh, i think we have done nine clinical studies to date uh, so uh, and we are planning a few more actually 
as we grow bigger and wider, we do long-term intervention studies to show that long-term consumption will reduce the what the scientists would call the resting glucose, uh, which is a, a marker for for, bio, for uh, pre-diabetics, for example, diabetics. Um, you could also use existing uh, scientific uh, studies, correct? I mean, if there's been a study after study after study about a certain ingredient, um, you wouldn't so, need so we, to have yeah, your own scientists, correct? Correct, uh, except that's available for everybody. And, and in our case, in the case of Good Idea, we use uh, the, the chromium component is a, is a good example. Right? Chromium is well-studied, well-researched, number of independent studies by a number of scientists all over the world that shown you know, many different benefits of chromium. What is unique with Good ID is that we found that if you take the chromium and combine it with the amino acids, the combined effect, the synergist, synergistic effect here is bigger than the sum of the two uh, components, right? So just the chromium or just the amino acids give some effect, but the combination give a very boosted effect. And that, that's, that's the key, key part of our patent. Yes. Yeah. What advice would you give someone just starting out about how to raise money? Well, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it comes back to what it is you're trying to do. I think, uh, first of all, I think it's a, it's a good time to raise money for food, and, and uh, particularly if you're in some kind of food tech aspect and, and, and looking at health benefits, for example, because there's a lot of money seeking investments in that space today. There's a lot of uh, food has become trendy, uh, food tech not the least, right, driven by companies like Impossible Beyond and I would argue Oatly as well, right? It's sort of attracting a lot of people into that space. Um, so, so you would think that maybe competition increases, but I, my sense right now is that there's a lot of money that looks for investment. So it's, you know, it really comes back down to your your story, your mission, your vision, uh, and your uniqueness in in the product. Uh, if if you have a good story, you're you're very clear on your vision and your mission. And and uh, uh, you have a good tasting product. Uh, you, sh- you it shouldn't be that hard to raise money. <laughs> okay, good to know. Well okay. put. Simply put. <laughs> okay, Bjorn. My last question is: What are the hard lessons you have learned starting a plant-based business? And what advice would you give to anyone listening here today who would like to become a plant-based food entrepreneur? Uh, three words, patience, patience, patience. <laughs> uh, it takes time, right? We all read about these overnight, truly overnight success stories in Silicon Valley where a kid comes up with some software or something and next thing you know, they are gazillionaires, right? It doesn't happen in the food industry in the same way and, and there are reasons for that. I mean, I, I love when when uh, our our uh, head of production at Oatly described one day. I mean, when o- Oatly is in a hyper growth phase with triple digit growths in the past now and, and, and uh, incredible potential, right? And and uh, but but it's very humbling when when you hear the people that actually run the production say, well. So we started this plant, and with the capacity we have now, we need 24 trucks every day to come in and pick up you know, oat milks and, and deliver 24 trucks a day. And you start thinking, okay, well, that, that's quite a lot. And, and they, of course, they don't come one every hour, right? They come in 
parts and where do you park them and how do they turn around and how much space do they need and how much service areas you need for the drivers and whatnot. So you start building and designing that and then, then they say, well, but next year we're going to do twice as much. So all of a sudden, you know, 48 tracks and you start thinking we're, we're adding football fields just to handle trucks. And there's a lot of physical product that need to go through the system, uh, raw materials in and f- finished goods out and, and uh, in order to achieve that number, right? Uh, and and it's that's hard work. That takes time. You can't just expect triple-digit growth, not year over year. That, that's extremely uh, difficult to manage and handle. And, and um, so, uh, you know, food takes time. We're shifting products, and we're also, if it's something relatively new to shift consumer behavior, I think that's one of the biggest lessons from our first 10 years, 15 years of the Oatly life, right? You're going to get people that are so programmed to do one thing to start doing something differently, and, and that never happens overnight. That takes truly grit and roll up your sleeves and go down there and just keep digging, right? And and uh, uh, so, um, unfortunately, <laughs> or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, the food industry is not for people that want to make a fast buck. Right. Well, that's good advice. Well, congratulations on all your success, Bjorn, and thanks so much for sharing your story. We learned so much today. Thank you. Okay, stay strong and stay well. You too. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, that's it for today's podcast. Thanks to Osea Malibu for being today's sponsor. You can find a link to their website in this week's show notes. You can find my organic vegan CBD products made from hemp at ordinaryvegan.net. According to the American Sleep Association, and I'm quoting them, CBD from hemp may interact with specific receptors potentially helping with the sleep-wake cycle. Additionally, you can find my new book, The Easy Five-Ingredient Vegan Cookbook, on my website, OrdinaryVegan.net. For recipes and inspiration, follow me on Instagram at OrdinaryVegan and join our fun Facebook group and community, facebook.com slash Ordinary Vegan. Also, if you get a chance, please share this podcast so our community can grow. And if you have time, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The more reviews we receive, the better chance of spreading the compassion, one plant-based meal at a time. Please stay strong and stay well. Till next time. Thanks for joining our plant-based community today. Together, we can accomplish great things. Please subscribe so you don't miss any of Ordinary Vegan's recipes and plant-based tips. If you have any questions or feedback, email us at questions at ordinaryvegan.net. Until next time.